All right, Grace Greetings Church. I'd just like to say this uh, right from the, uh, the get-go, that um, we have a church that's really blessed with great Bible teachers. In Sunday school, Jerry's been doing it, George has done it before, Brian's uh, doing a great lesson today, very uh, thought-provoking, encouraging. And um, so, yeah, the church is really blessed with uh, musicians, uh, a tech team, um, I think our children's ministry is, is going uh, good and groovy, and uh, there's just a lot going on here. I'm looking forward to this year, and I'll be kind of rolling out some ideas as we go along, but one of them is that I took from the end of last year, which I borrowed from Kathy Truett, founder of um, Chick-fil-A, that if we want to make the church bigger, he uses, of course, his Chick-fil-A industry, if you want to make it bigger, we got to first start by making it better. And so I just want to think about different ministries. How could I make pulpit ministry better? Uh, there's a lot of things that we're going to kind of figure out. How can we make it better? And then we'll just trust God to make it bigger. That's not the goal. Uh, but I think if we're good stewards and we're responsible, uh, if God so wants to do that, then uh, we will join him in that process. Last week, we were... In John, as we're going through the book of John this week, I'm going to be looking at our theme, uh, which Victoria, another talent amongst our midst, had designed. If you go back to that logo, one, one more, or the kind of the theme thing where it says life, go back to the beginning, I think. Go back one more, where it's just the big, go back one more, where it's the, um, where it says life. Yeah, so... Um, Victoria designed that, and I just gave her the, the name, hey, life, and, you know, the acrostic love, identity, freedom, encounter, and she came up with that, and I thought, man, that is really cool. It's really, the more I look at it, too, the more it just seems like it's uh, it just it's kind of more captivating uh, to me, but we're going through the book of John, and periodically, I'd like to stop and do a topical message. The book of John is more expository as we kind of get to know God one verse at a time. And I know it seems like, man, it's been a month and we're only in verse three. Um, I don't think it'll take that long per se, but again, it's not, I'm not trying to race through it. I, I just, I really want to trust the Lord in going through the book of John but as we take a pause this Sunday, I'd like to look at an overview of my thought from life. Okay, we have our, kind of our theme going on back here. Jesus plus nothing equals everything for life. In him was life, and the life was the light of man. Okay, I'm just going to move this aside temporarily. So in him was life, and the life was the light of man. But last week, I was in verse 3. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. And we were looking at Christ as creator. I didn't do it, but if dropping down to verse 10 of John chapter 1, he was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He was in the world, and the world was made by him. Uh, George gave me a great verse after Sunday school, he said, hey, I was thinking about the message last week, and Psalm 144.3 says, what is man that you are mindful of him? What is man that you are mindful of him? And I gave a quote from Blaise Pascal last week, which says something to this effect, that we are somewhere in between that which is infinitely big and infinitesimally small, and we are the apple of God's eye. He sits on the circle of the earth. The earth is his footstool. And he created us 
out of everything, he created us for relationships so that we could know God, have a relationship with him. Think about it. He's not creating, uh, he didn't create us for what he could extract out of us. The one who said, let there be light, do you think he needs anything from us? I mean, really, <laughs> let there be light and there was light. There are stars that we studied that are so big that you could fit millions of our sun inside the other suns that are out there. That one that said, let there be and there was light, he's creating us not for what he could extract out of us, but for what he wants to impart and share and commune with us. God created us so that we could know him and we could experience his love and life throughout all of eternity, right now and all of eternity. And so we looked at that. So today we're going to look at this, this acrostic life. Life, if you'll fast forward the slide here. Um, life, I, go back to the one, yeah, that one. Life, love, identity, freedom, encounter. And so we're just going to briefly overview uh, some of these. But I'm going to start with life. That would be the first one. And before I do, I'm just going to go ahead and open in a word of prayer. And then uh, we'll look at definition of life, and then we'll move on into uh, love, identity, freedom, and then encounter. Heavenly Father, I pray, Lord, as we are your ecclesia, your called out assembly, as we've come from all of our different cares of life and all of our responsibilities and all the things that seems to be vying for our attention and all of our responsibilities and everything that's going on, Lord, that we would just hit pause and hit Selah in our life and come here and gather as a, just a group of born-again believers that would band together willingly to show not only our love for you, but our love for each other and our love for truth. And we honor your word. We honor the hymns that we sing. Uh, Lord, we just, uh, we just love you, and we want to demonstrate that by the things that we say and do. And so, Lord, I just pray you'd edify your people today and uh, speak through these, uh, just these humble uh, collection of thoughts that have been organized, Lord. I just pray that you, as your Holy Spirit, would illuminate and be the teacher and the teaching as we press forward uh, this Sunday. Lord, I just thank you for the privilege of gathering, and I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's look at this phrase, light. Life. All right, I'm going to show you a definition. I mentioned it before, uh, but there's different kinds of life. You know, there's like biological life, bios life. There's anthropos life, just the life of man. Um, but then there's this life in the Greek in, that appears in the Bible called zoe life. Zoe. And it's very unique because it's exclusive only to God. Now, this is... Um, this is I think this was Thayer's. I'm not sure uh, where I got this from. I have multitudes of commentaries and dictionaries and concordances and whatnot. But uh, this particular one says, the state of one who is possessed of vitality or is animate uh, of the absolute fullness of life, both essential and ethical, which belongs to God. And you could keep reading on, but the part that I want to pull out is this is essential... Uh, which only belongs to God. So this Zoe life, this eternal, unending, resurrected life is found only in God. I'm struggling with light here. Sorry about that. So um, 
Resurrection, unending, everlasting, eternal life is found exclusively in and with a relationship with God through Christ, by the Holy Spirit indwelling uh, our lives and quickening our once dead, separated spirit. So, you know the song, Looking for Love in All the Wrong Places? You could sing it. You probably have already wrecked it. You're already singing it, right? Well, we could be looking for life in all the wrong places, too. You know, we could try to get life from um, hobbies. We could try to get life from our careers. We could try to get life from other people, relationships, right? You could try to suck the life out of someone else. And, um, but the only unending life source that could actually sustain and, and where Jesus says in John, he says, I'm the water of life. He that drinks of me shall never thirst again. He's the bread of life. If you eat of Christ, you'll never hunger again. The only one that satisfies hunger and thirst and quench for all of eternity is that when you connect it to the one who is Zoe life, the eternal, unending, uncreated life that started it all, that has no beginning, that has no end. He's the one that wants to be your life. But something happened. Uh, Sunday school, we alluded to it a little bit, um, but it wasn't, that wasn't the topic, so I'll just kind of go back and, and say something. In the garden, God said to Adam and Eve, the day you eat of this tree, you will die, right? He said, in the day, in the very day. Now, we know Adam and Eve lived, you know, many, many, many years after they ate of the tree. So we know that they didn't physically fall over and die the day they ate. But something did happen in the day that they ate. They were removed from the garden and God's presence was removed from them. So we know something happened. Death did occur that day, but it wasn't a physical, biological death. They were removed from Zoe life. They were removed from the one whose eternal life. Death really means to be separated from life, and they were separated from the one who contains life. And so I want to show you what actually happened uh, in, this, in this chart and this next thing. So here's, uh, God made us this way, and you can read about this in Genesis chapter 2. Um, God formed man of the dust of the earth, that's his body, uh, and God breathed into him the breath of life, that's the spirit, and then man became a living soul. So we're a trichotomy. We're a body, a soul, and a spirit. In your soul is your mind, your thinker, your chooser, your willer. It's where you feel. And a lot of times people get spirituality confused with soulical activity. I think, I think a lot of times in churches, you, you could go to a church that's all about the mind, right? Evangelicals. Right? They're going to teach you apologetics and you're going to be, you're going to outsmart your neighbor and you're going to just, you're going to be so intellectual that people are going to be so impressed. They're going to want to convert and be, you know, and, and receive your Jesus. Emotions, you know, charismatics are very big on that. And if you don't feel a certain way, then I guess you're not doing good with God. But if you feel real hyped up and jazzed, then I guess God's in the, in the building and, you know, that's okay. I'm not making fun of these. I've been to all three of these colleges, by the way. I've been trained in every, all three of them. And then the will, you know, you got the, uh, the fundamentalists that are just going to get it done by sure willpower and discipline and religious duty. And so you have all three of them. And then, you know, they all have their place. But you could easily mistake like a spiritual experience from a solical experience. 
how you feel. But at the core of who we really are, we're a spirit. And the Holy Spirit has been joined. That's the Holy of Holies, by the way. Right? That is the Holy of Holies. That's where God dwells in every born-again believer. But when we sin, something happened. Look at the next slide. You're going to have just click it a couple times because there's some, there's some animations that are involved in it. And click it one more time. Click it one more time. Okay, so before a person's saved, and this is after the fall, before a person's saved, here's how they really are. They're born a body, a soul. They have the mind, will, and emotions, right? They could build things. They could think things. They could do a lot of things. But really, they're dead. They're DOA, dead on arrival. And the F is the flesh. It's kinda, it kind of goes in between your, your body and soul. It's the flesh. And those are, the, that, those are flesh patterns. It's where we learn how to cope with life uh, outside of having the life of God. And so, you know, we could manipulate. We could be funny. We could be smart. We could be very attractive. We could, uh, there's so many different ways that we try to manage life without the life of God just with our body and soul. But something happened when, when sin took place. Uh, we were separated from God, and now we were born body, soul, and dead spirit. That's why Jesus says, um, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto you, you must be born again. When we get born again, we realize, well, I'm not going to be good enough for God's heaven. I can't work my way into God's presence. I can't, get the, I can't become the righteousness of God by abstaining from certain things and doing other things. And you realize I'm a sinner separated from God. Jesus, will you come into my heart and give me life? And when you do, boom, he comes into your dead spirit. He quickens it. He makes it alive. And he joins his spirit with your spirit. 1 Corinthians 6.17, he that's joined into the Lord is one spirit, never to be separated again. So that's who we were, but that's not who we are. Look at this next slide here. Here's who we are, the saved person. Um, go, to the, go to the next slide. Saved person, and just keep clicking it because there's some animations there. Okay, Stop. So, we're a body, a soul, and a resurrected, connected, living spirit to Zoe life. Because Jesus bridged the gap, right? He became sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. 2 Corinthians 5.21 So Jesus bridged the gap. We're no longer separated. The veil's been rent. We have access. We're seated with Christ. We're, we're joined to him. Um, we have everything in Christ, not because we deserved it or we earned it by good works, but because his grace provided it towards us because he, all he wanted was relationship. And we couldn't do for us what only God could do for us, so he had to come and do for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. And so now, as a Christian, we're a body a soul, and a resurrected, new, born-again spirit, able to know God, able to communicate with God. Do we always do that? No. A lot of times we step on the hose, quench and grieve the spirit. I do that all the time. Sometimes I just operate on autopilot, operating out of my soul, what I feel like, uh, what I discipline myself like, or uh, how I think. 
really how we're to really function and walking with God is what's true is your spirit. How many of us function out of our emotions, our soul, right? That becomes our paradigm and our reality. But what's really true is your spirit. I used to say you need to push, push it from your head down to your heart. It's the opposite. You need to push it from your heart where the spirit is up to your soul, and then you have the spirit tell your soul what's up. Hey, this is true. Hey, this is who you are. Hey, God doesn't, that's not, that's contrary to who you are in Christ. Hey, you're a new creation in Christ. Does that look like who you are? Or does that look like who you were? So your spirit constantly is telling your soul, and then your soul has to agree, and then your soul tells your body, okay, let's do this. Right? So it gets the opposite. You're a spirit that has a soul that happens to live in a body. And who you are for eternity is really, you know, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Be forever joined uh, with the Lord. Now, <clears throat> so I want to take you to Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 2. This is kind of all of our biography here. And you, he made alive, who were, past tense, dead in trespasses and sins, separated to God, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince and the power of the earth, Satan, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we had, look at the tense, uh, all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others." So we need to be easy, not easy on people, like excusing their sinful behavior, but don't get, don't get Christian amnesia as if you weren't once lost and once a child of wrath and once a child of disobedience and once set dead and separated, right? <laughs> Let's not get Christian amnesia and think like, well, look at those people or look what the, they're lost. They need life. They need to be saved. They need someone to tell them the truth. That's who we once were, but that's not who we now are. But God, who was rich in mercy because of his great love, wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, he made us alive together with Christ, for by grace are you saved. And he raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Amen? So, life... The only way we're going to get life is by grace. God, with his rich mercy and his great love, even when we couldn't save ourselves. Think about Lazarus. He couldn't raise himself. Someone had to do it for him and to him. Even that's how we are before we get saved. We're a body, a soul, and a dead spirit. You can't, you can't give your spirit life. You could give it religious activity, but you can't give it life. You need the one who is life to give you spiritual life. That's being born again. Amen. So um, the Bible, though, is merely a highway, a path, but it's not the very destination. I'm not belittling the Bible. I'm just saying, like, when you build a road, you don't build a road and just say, man, I'm glad I'm on this road. <laughs> I can't wait to get on this road, and I'm just going to be on this road. We don't do that. The road leads us to a destination, and the Bible is like a pathway that leads us to uh, the destination, which is the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at, uh, oh, it's actually not on the screen, John 5, 39. 
Um, the Bible says this, you search the scriptures for in them you think you, ha- you have eternal life and they are they which testify of me. So the Bible is like a, it's a, it's a road to lead you to this relationship with the one who is Zoe life. Um, I remember when Jesus was giving that sermon about, uh, you know, eating his, eating his flesh and drinking his blood. You're like, what in the world is going on, Jesus? <laughs> and then he went from 5,000 to 12 just with one sermon. It wasn't like a Joel Osteen type, you'd be your best life now. It was like the opposite. You know, this is hardcore. They said, this is a hard saying. Who could hear this? And then after they all left, Jesus turns to the disciples and said, will you leave also? And then in John 6, 68, Simon Peter answered and said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. It's not where shall we go or what shall we do. He said, who shall we go? You have the words of Zoe, eternal life. Same chapter, John 6, 47, if you're taking notes. It's not on your screen. Um, These are just addendum things. Most assuredly, I say unto you, he who believes in me has everlasting, this eternal Zoe life that can't be got through religion, through anything else other than a relationship with Christ. I love this passage, John 5, 24. If you're taking notes, it's not on the screen. Uh, Just write it down and look at it later. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who has sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death into life. Have you passed from death to life? Not like have you crossed the street and entered into church, right? (laughs) But have you passed into life? The one whose life has he entered into you? Life, life. Next thing I want to talk about in our acrostic, if we take the word life, the first L, we're, we're going to talk about love this year. We're going to look at love. I'm going to look at it this morning, just briefly. Probably be the one that I'll spend the most time on, uh, but we'll come back and revisit it. Again, this is just an overview of the acrostic, and then when we go back and kind of with more of a fine-tooth comb, we'll look at each one in particular. So this is an overview, but love, I just want to say this, love is not a something, love is a someone. God is love, it's who he is, it's what he does, Okay? Um, I've said this already, but God's doing is based on God's being. His doing love is based on him being love. It's what he does. It's who he is. Something has a nature. It's going to do what its nature is. God's nature is love. So he's going to do love. And because God's infinite and his infinitude and he's omni, which means all, he's all love. He doesn't, God doesn't have like a just 50% 51% of the market on love, you know, and you know, he's got 100, he's 100%. Whatever God is, it's in infinite increments. So when we think about God's love, it's an unending eternal love that could never be exhausted or tapped out or exhausted. Did I already say that? I'm exhausted from saying exhausted so much. So let's look at this. Take your Bibles, if you would, and turn with me towards the back of the New Testament, towards 1 John, not the Gospel of John, same human penman, same inspiration, the Holy Spirit. 
But look with me, if you would, in 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4. It says, You are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. You like that passage? I love that passage. Greater is God that's in you. Sometimes you feel like greater is the world outside of me than God in me, right? I feel like that sometimes. That would be a solical approach, but I feel like that sometimes. Well, I got to remind myself of the truth. That's why coming to church and getting edified and hearing songs about truth and Sunday school and kids' ministries, we need to renew our minds constantly because it's of the habit of us to base everything uh, off of things that aren't the truth. And sometimes they're the loudest voices. They are of the world, therefore they speak of the world, and the world hears them. Uh, We are so concerned about our kids a lot of times because it's so much of the world is speaking into them on a regular basis rather than Christ and Christians. And, you know, so we need to be, we need to be fed. We need to feed ourselves and we need to uh, look for ways to encourage one another. We are of God. He that knows God hears us and he that's not of God hears not us. Hereby we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. And don't be surprised when people don't subscribe to your faith or understand what you're saying. First of all, they can't because uh, they don't have a resurrected spirit. They just have a soul and a body, but they don't, if they don't, they've never been regenerated or born again, they won't even understand what you're saying anyways. Beloved, uh, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loves is born of God and knows God. Born again, right? You could love with God's love because you've been born again with his spirit, and in his spirit contains his love. You cannot give out what you have not received. This is just basic stuff, right? He that loves not knows not God, for God is love. God's telling us who he is. Uh, In this was manifested the love of God toward us, because that God sent his only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through him. Live through him. Love through him. Experience He gave himself for us to put his life in us, to live his life through us, right? So God manifested his love and that he didn't just say it. He put skin on and the word became flesh and he showed us what love looks like and who love is like. Here in its love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his only son to be the propitiation, the substitutionary sacrifice for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, We ought also to love one another. No man has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwells in us and his love is made mature in us. Hereby know we that we dwell in him and he in us because he has given us his spirit. And we have seen and do testify that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwells him and he in God. There's a lot of uh, those little prepositional phrases in there, in God. God dwells in you. His Spirit's in you. The Son's in you. Um, and we have known and believed the love that God has to us. God is love. So he says it again. He says who God is. God is love. And he that dwells in love dwells in God and God in him. So this is really cool because you know where the Bible says love your enemies? Um, 
There's a lot of imperatives to the Christian to love. And outside of having the source of love, I cannot pull this off. But because I've been, I have batteries included now that I'm born again, in my spirit contains. I think it's Romans 5.5. 5. Um, if someone could read that, uh, it's just off the top of my head, Romans 5.5. 5. The love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit that was given unto us. And that, that love that's shed abroad in our hearts is this, it's this river flowing of life and love that is not only for us, but for the benefit of others as well. And so that's why he's saying this love is participatory. You've received it, now release it. Don't be a, you know, I'm saying this is, a, this is architecture. Don't be a dam, right? <laughs> and wall up the, the rivers of water. And don't be a swamp where you just collect it and there's no outlet. Uh, be rivers of living water. The love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost that was given unto us. Um, Herein is our love made perfect that we may have boldness in the day of judgment because as he is, so are we in this world. You need to get this verse. This is a flyover verse. Uh, it was for me for many, many years, but you need, to, you need to get this verse. Herein is our love made mature, grown, and perfect that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Are you afraid of dying? Are you afraid of standing before God? Are you afraid that like, he's going to judge you and your goodies and baddies, your baddies are going to outweigh your goodies and then you're going you're gonna to be cast out into the lake of fire where there's weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth or you're going to be separated from God for all of you. You need to get this verse. Here's what love does. Love gives you boldness when you stand before God because as he is, so are we in this world. How loved is Jesus? This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. How loved is Jesus? How loved are you? As He is, so are we in this world. Because we're connected to Christ, God's infinite love is connected to us. As he is, so are you in this world. You're a child of God. You're an always being loved child of God. You know, in, we were accepted in the beloved. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. You know that community of perfect lovers? Right? There's a perfect family of lovers, infinite. You know what kind of place that is? It's a place where you could be yourself. It's a place where you're safe. It's a place where you're secure. It's a place where there's authenticity. It's, it's just a safe place to be. And now you are connected into that family of infinite safe lovers. As he is, so are you in this world. Perfect love, he's going to say, look at the next verse. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Because fear has torment, consequence, right? But he that fears is not made grown up or perfect in love. I'd say to the extent that you're afraid is probably to the level of your understanding of God's love. And what, what mature love wants to do is to rid you of fear so you could be fearless and bold and really just live this life to the fullest in faith, knowing that you're an always being loved child of God. That, 
the love of Christ will compel, constrain, motivate us. Um, but if we don't know this, you know, we're, he loves me, he loves me not. He loves me, he loves me not. He loves me, he loves me not. Oh, I did this, so he loves me. I didn't do that, he loves me not. Right? You want to live your Christian life pulling off superstitious love flower petals? Or do you want to just believe what God says from his word? Right? Because perfect, mature, grown-up love is going to cast out that type of incorrect, unbiblical, fearful thinking about how God relates to you. So, that's love. There are three aspects of love. I think that's a slide. Three aspects of love. Um, there's the lover, the source, the original source, which God is love, okay? He's the releaser. He created us, but he, he, he could have just done it in the family of, you know, the Trinity, but he created us, and then he gave us love. So, we're the beloved. We're the receiver of that love. And now we have an option. We could, in a, in a love relationship, we could then choose to return that love, uh, reciprocate that love back to the original lover. Right? That's kind of how love works. Now God will keep loving you and loving you and loving you without any expectation of anything in return. But in relationship, it's good to receive it and to release it. Right? And so we could express it in many different ways, but God can't help but to love you. So I just wanted to bring that up. Next thing, identity. Third thing. So when we um, look into who we re really are in Christ and who Christ is in us, it changes everything. You know this proverb, Proverb 23, 7, as a man thinks in his heart or as a person thinks in their heart, a woman thinks in their heart, a kid thinks in their heart, so are they right? If we don't believe biblically, we won't behave biblically. And let me just say this. We are who God says who we are. We are who God says that we are. In your identity, you are who God says that you are. I am who God says that I am. We are the righteous, holy, accepted, always being loved children of the King. We are not who the world says that we are, who the culture says that we are, who our past relationships painted us as we are, who are self-sabotaging, condemning, um, self-limiting beliefs are. That's not who we are. We are not who our feelings tell us who we are. We are who God says that we are. Amen? This is a hard one to believe, right? I think a lot of times we go right to activity and we skip identity. If we get identity right, our activity will be right. If we think correctly and biblically we'll behave correctly and biblically but we need to know who god says that we are okay if we don't then we'll try to get something that we already have like this guy the other day at the city he was looking for his glasses and i've used this as an illustration but i said they're on your head you know it was so funny why <laughs> your glasses are on your head looking for something that he already had right um and you could spend a lot of christian Sideways energy, right? <laughs> Unproductive sideways energy, or maybe it's productive because it's part of your journey, trying to get what you already got when you got Christ. Just discover what you already have. So we need to know 
who we are. We don't need to worry so much on changing the way the world thinks and feels about Christians. We need to pray that God would help us Christians change the way we think and feel about our true selves. Yeah? I think that's a, that's a good, good approach. We don't need to worry so much on changing the way the world thinks and feels about Christians. We need to pray that God would help us Christians Christians change the way we think and feel about our true selves. You'll know this passage. Look at 2 Corinthians. But I want to put verse 16 up. Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet uh, now we know him thus no longer. What that's saying is this. They knew Jesus born of a virgin, carpenter's son from Nazareth, uh, the Galilean, 30 years old, enters into ministry, does some miracles, things that no one's ever seen before, gets crucified for not crimes that he's committed. He actually gets crucified for who he says he was, God in the flesh. They said blasphemy, now we got him, right? So um, crucified, not for any crimes that he's done, But then, on the third day, he rises again from the dead, and they are dumbfounded. So they knew Christ one way, and now they know him another, as the risen Zoe, eternal life, the grave can't contain him. So what does that verse 16 say about us? Hey, you struggle with drinking? You struggle with lying? You struggle with stealing? struggle with lust you struggle with um, manipulation gossip being critical what do you struggle with right what's your what's what does your flesh go towards right well if you do you struggle with that i don't know you as a heroin addict i don't i know you as a christian who probably once struggled with heroin right? I don't know you after the flesh. I don't know you after some sort of sin that's trying to get you and choke you. I don't know you that way. That's not who you are. You are a born-again, saved saint, a Christian that maybe sinned some way, but I'm going to know you as that born-again believer in Christ, not identify you or label you or pigeonhole you as, oh, you're the one that had sex before marriage, or you're the adulterer, or you're the this, or you're the that. I don't know you that way. I know you as verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, they're a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Amen? Verse 16 is super important to understanding our true identity in verse 17 and how we relate to ourselves and how we relate to others. Look, are there people in here that struggle? Yeah, but I don't know you that way. Hey, let me speak to your new man. Let me speak to your spirit. You know who you really are? You're a love child of God. You know who you really are? You're the righteousness of Christ in God. You know who you really are? You're saved. You're sanctified. You're set apart. You're seated with Christ. You're accepted in the blood. You know who you really are? I'm going to speak to the new man. And quit fussing over the old man's behaviors and characters that are just kind of popping up every once in a while. That's not who you are. That's who you were. Yeah. So, um, freedom. 
freedom. <laughs> I always think of Braveheart, but freedom. Freedom is what we have because of who we have. Location, location, location. Look at 2 Corinthians 3.17. It'll be on the screen here. Now the Lord is that spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Where is the spirit of the Lord if you're a believer? In you. Well, he's everywhere anyways. But, you know, you can't put him in a bottle or anything. But when you become a believer, now you're connected to him. And where he's at in you, you have liberty because you contain the life of the liberator. It's not what we're free from. It's who we are free for and who we are free to. We are free to serve the Lord with no strings attached. We are free to love others without needing to get all of my worth, acceptance, and approval because I have all of these needs met in my relationship with Christ. We are free from condemnation. Uh, we are free from being separated from God. I don't need to fear that anymore. I'm free from that fear because that will never happen based on what God said in His Word and what's his, what He's promised. So we are free to be fearless and to live a life full uh, and faithful and one that counts. Okay, so freedom. I know a lot of people abuse freedom, right? And therefore, we don't like to talk about freedom because of the abuse of freedom, but God takes care of that. Um, look, at, look at this next passage in Galatians, and we covered this before. Stand fast, stand firm, be steadfast in your liberty, which uh, Christ has made us free, and don't be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Don't go back to Egypt. Don't go back to old flesh patterns. Don't go back to uh, living uh, the, you know, the Mosaic law life. But then he gives this warning. For you, brethren, have been called to liberty. Only don't, do not use your liberty as an opportunity for the flesh. It's not license. We're not, look, just because we're free from the Mosaic law, we're not under the, we're not under the law of Moses, but we're under the law of the Lord. And that we're under the Lord and we're in the Lord and there's liberty there. But he says, don't use it as an occasion or an excuse uh, for the flesh. But we're free from and we're free for loving and serving one another. Freedom, right? We're free to love. Look, we're so free because we're so loved by God that we could walk into church and look for ways to give rather than looking for ways to get. Looking for ways to give love rather than looking for ways to get love because we're free. We're free. And then this, the last one here is encounter in our acrostic of life. So we had love, identity, freedom. E is encounter. Now this one's kind of a, you know, this is kind of a different one, and I want you to hang in there with me. Um, but I think we all, all need to have a genuine, ongoing encounter with God. What I mean by that is to know Him, to be growing in the grace and knowledge of Christ, and then also, in turn, to make Him known as we encounter life and encounter others who do not know life. Okay? In other words, we're catchers and releasers. We're receivers and releasers. We have been freely, the Bible says you have freely received, now freely give out God's life, love, and good news. So, when people encountered Christ in the Bible, what was, an off, what, was a, what was a response? When they encountered God, they couldn't help but to tell others, right? 
they encountered Christ, they couldn't help but to tell others. Now, let me show you this, this passage, and we'll get there in, in a little bit because we're going through John chapter 1, but I just want to fast forward a little bit. Philip found Nathanael and said unto him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote. I love that. I love that, love that, love that. The Bible says that often. You know, the whole Bible is summarized. It's, a, it's like a portrait book of who Christ is. And he says, this is who it's all about. Um, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said unto him, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? Now this is, he's not being sarcastic. He's actually being very theologically accurate. It's like, I don't remember reading anything about Nazareth, right? <laughs> he's actually being a pretty good Bible student here. And then Philip um, says this. Philip said to him, well, come and see. I'll show you who the whole Bible was about, the Old Testament about. Come and see. Come and see. And my thought with encounter is this. Only God can give us the illumination, right? This kind of this, this awareness of who he is. And only, only the Holy Spirit could turn the lights on in our spirit and just kind of bear witness. And, and as we have that engagement with this, that relational um, participa- partici- participatory thing going on with, with God within us, and so, but our response to that is our responsibility, but it's my prayer for me and for the church that God would give us a come and see Jesus approach to the community, right? Because look, it's nice to come and to hear a message, to sing some songs, and we're going to have communion here in a minute, um, but wouldn't it be also awesome if we freely received something, we had an, kind of an encounter with God, to then go out and engage and have encounters with the community where we could say, hey, come and see. Come and see. Come and see Jesus. Right? Come and see who it's all about. Come and see who communion's about. Come and see who the singing's about. Come and see who the Bible's about. Right? Because if it's not about Jesus, what's it about anyways? Amen? All right, so in conclusion... Do you have God's eternal life? Life. Do you have it? If you don't, it's given freely by God's grace. We've all received God's love, whether you, we, we know it or not, I, you know, to the extent that you experience it or know it. And he wants us, even Paul prays this in Ephesians, that you pray that the, the eyes of your understanding would be opened, that you would know the the height, the width, the depth, and to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge in Ephesians 3. So, but do we return it? Do, do we release it uh, to others? Because we read the whole chapter almost of 1 John 4. He's like, this is a natural thing. Those that have God and have his love and have his spirit love others also. It's just, a, it's just what happens when we are recipients of his love. What about our identity? What's it based on? Who are we really? Who do you think you are? Does that, that sounds not nice. <laughs> who do you think you are? But who does God say that you are? Right? And I can't wait to study it out because it, it will, it, it leads to freedom because when we know who we really are, then we're free to act out who we really are. So people can abuse freedom and sometimes people can not even experience the freedom they already have because they are too bound up by sin, self, 
and Satan or even lies that they've picked up along the way. All right? What about our encounters with God and our encounters with others? Maybe this year we will pray for more of those. Right? I'm not talking some weird, like, you know, peyote journey, you know, or <laughs> some weird uh, eschatological experience. I'm praying about a real genuine dialogue with you and your relationship with God. Practicing the presence of Christ, right? So let's do this. Um, let's stand and, and I'll pray. Uh, and then the ushers, if you could come forward, we'll go ahead and get ready to participate in communion. Heavenly Father, I pray that we would experience your life, that we would express your life. And Lord, I also pray that um, we would know your love, and we would make your love known to others. And Lord, in our identity, I just pray that we'd really truly know and believe who you say that we are, not who our feelings or our friends or who the world or culture says, but who you say that we are as people that have passed from death to life. And our freedom, Jesus, I pray that we wouldn't use freedom selfishly, but we would be free to serve you and to love others. And so, Lord, I pray that our freedom would just be one that would be a fearless one, that we would just walk this world in faith, and that it would give us the freedom to encounter you enter boldly into the throne room of grace. You've given us free access, but also that we would encounter and engage the community with the life and the love that we've received. Lord, as we come into this time of communion, I pray that we'd do this in remembrance of you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, the ushers come forward. You guys may be seated. All right, I'm going to go ahead and read a text, and then I'm going to ask Jerry if he would thank the Lord for the the body that's represented in the bread. Um, so it says in 1 Corinthians 11, starting in verse 23, it says, For I have received of the Lord that which I have delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, uh, he broke it and said, Take ye, this is my body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. So Jesus, he took the bread, he blessed it, and he broke it. And he says, take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. I'm going to ask Joe if you'd thank the Lord for the cup. After the same manner also, he took the cup. And when they had supped, saying, this cup is the New Testament in my blood, this do as oft as you drink it in remembrance of me. When he given thanks, he broke the bread and he said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. After the same manner also he took the cup and when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do you as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death until he come.
Amen? So let's do that in remembrance of what Christ has done for us. And I'm going to ask if, uh, Vic, if you would dismiss us in a word of prayer.